The title of our series, everybody say it together. A Pilgrim's Progress. Where do we get it? It's from verse 1, where Peter said to the, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims. Everyone say pilgrims. Now, the reason these people are called pilgrims is because, in fact, it's the only place Peter uses this two places, this word two places, uh, one right here, another in chapter 2, verse uh, 11, sojourners and pilgrims. And then the only other place is in Hebrews. Uh, and so very limited usage of this word where he said to the pilgrims of the dispersion. Pilgrims means temporary residents. Everybody say temporary residents. It's, and, and so what, what the deal was, these folks, oh, I didn't give you the theme. I'm, hey, let, thank you. Here's the theme. Because these people were, uh, 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 scattered throughout, uh, all the region because of persecution. Uh, here's the theme we put on this series. Progressing through this life into that life in the face of adversity and pressure. And, uh, you can go back and, and, uh, listen to the last couple of, uh, of uh, Wednesday nights, and that'll make a whole lot of sense. But these folks were under pressure. They'd been scattered because of persecution. And so they they were experienced trouble and trauma in their life. And Peter shows up in, in this letter and just explodes on them with their destiny and purpose uh, and talks about the fact that, hey, this it's only temporary. Everybody say it's only temporary. And so he, he wanted them to know that. So it's written to the pilgrims who are temporary residents. And here's what we learned. We learned this spiritual progress requires a mental and moral shift from the temporal to the eternal. And that's what he shared. I don't have time to go back, but you read chapter one. Man, he's getting their eyes off the, off the, off their circumstances and onto their eternity. Uh, and that's what he just explodes on the scene with in this letter. Man, we're on our way to heaven. There's a place reserved in heaven for us. And though we're going through trials and troubles, it's all temporary. Look at somebody close to you and say, it's only temporary. My wife's having it. You need to turn it down. You've been huffing and puffing back there. Y'all feeling comfortable? You're comfortable? You're all right? My wife's not. She's fanning back there. <laughs> she said, don't mind me. Uh, and then last week we talked about this aspect uh, because he takes them back to the starting blocks of their life where it all began spiritually, and that's the resurrection. And then last, so last Wednesday we talked about the resurrection. He mentions that and just he says that that in verse 3, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So last Wednesday we looked in, at the power of the resurrection in our life and how without the resurrection, listen, the Bible says we're all still in our sins. But thank be to God, he did rise from the dead. Amen. So uh, so that's where we've come. And I would encourage you, if you missed the last two, go onto our website. Uh, and I think right, uh, uh, Ike is around here somewhere. Ike, uh, it's just on the website. You just click Wednesday Messages, website cotrnorth.com, and you can catch up with those first two. I gave you the quickie little insight. So, uh, so that's kind of where we've been the last two weeks. Tonight, we're going to finish out the chapter. And we're going to, we're going to, let me begin reading, oh, in verse 10. He's going to talk about our salvation. And I'm going to read all the way through chapter 1. And then I'm going to introduce to you a couple of thoughts about as we finish out this chapter. Are you with, are you with me? Say I'm with you, Pastor. Here we go. He, I'm kind of jumping in mid-thought. 
He says, of this salvation. Now, let me go back to verse 9. He says, we receive the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. How many of you know uh, uh, he's the beginning and the ending? And he's, he's really telling these pilgrims, hey, you follow Jesus through all the way through this life to that life. And when you get to heaven, the conclusion of your journey will be realized uh, in, in eternity with Christ. And then he says, verse 10, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. I'll explain that a little bit. To them, it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us. Everybody say, but to us. But to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look unto. Verse 13, therefore, and we'll talk, this is it's going to be a big part of our night from verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's talking about when Jesus comes again. Everybody say, Jesus is coming again. He really is. He's coming again. He said, I'm coming back. Uh, and so he said, uh, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be, be holy for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout this time, the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from the aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. Somebody say amen. Thank God for his blood. As, for, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. There's another reference to the fact that we're living in the last day. We really are according to Scripture, who through Him believe in God who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the Word of God. You see, uh, Lindsay was born again Sunday, not because of Pastor Sam's Word, but because the power of the Word of God. The God's Word is powerful and, and, and is alive. And it says that's what causes us to be born again, to, to believe, to hear and to believe. Remember what Romans said. You, 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 you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You shall be saved. And that's what he's referencing, the power of God's Word and the Gospel. Because he just mentioned the fact uh, that we've been redeemed and that Jesus rose again. Uh, and then he says, uh, verse 24, because he quotes an Old Testament passage, all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away or fades away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. And everybody said, amen. So that's a lot. And I'm going to break it down. Certainly not going to hit everything. 
but I, we're going to give you some insight. I want to give you the first thought I want to talk to you about is the pill. I think what Paul, pardon me, Peter's trying to do with these pilgrims who, by the way, had lost everything. It seems they're scattered. They're, they're in an unknown place. They've, they've had to lay down things. They've had to let go of things. They, they, they've, they were dealing with issues in their life because of this persecution. And Peter shows up and gives them a bigger picture. How many of you appreciate a bigger perspective sometimes in life? You look at your circumstances and you go, golly, and all you got, you know, you're looking at the circumstances of your life and you just go, man, how am I ever going to get it? And then somebody comes along and gives you, uh, let's say it, a bigger picture. And sometimes we get so focused on our circumstances that we miss the bigger picture. And as a pilgrim passing through, to make progress in your spiritual journey. Now, that's what we're talking about, and that's what we're hammering. you got to see the bigger picture, when, especially when it comes to the circumstances of your life. So, and, and that's what he's doing in verse 10, and, uh, 10, 11, and 12. He talks about the prophets, uh, and, and he says, the prophets that prophesied about what you're experiencing, they were desirous to experience what they prophesied about. But then they realized, it said to them, it was revealed to them that it wasn't for them, but for us. Okay, you get that? Everybody say, I I got it. So that's what he's saying. He said, the prophets that were before you guys, they were seeing it, prophesying about it. And basically what he's saying, the prophets were looking for what you and I have already found. They realized it wasn't for their time, but for our time. And then he says this. He talks about two things. He says in verse 10, he said, Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace. Everybody say the grace of God. Listen, that's what, that's what causes us all for, to be able to be saved. What does the Bible says? For by grace, you, you're saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. That's Ephesians 2, I, I believe, uh, I think it is. Uh, somebody say that's right, I think it is. And the, uh, the grace of God is what saves us. He said, the prophets prophesied about the grace of God, but they realized this wasn't for us, it was for them. It's for a, for a, 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 a chosen generation in the future that they were prophesying about. And then it says in verse 11 that... They were also looking for the glories or the glories that would follow concerning uh, after Christ suffered and then the glory of God. So he said these prophets were looking and prophesying about the grace of God and the glory of God. And guess what? You're experiencing what they were prophesying about. They realized it wasn't for them. It was for you. And so, and then he throws this in in verse 12, things which angels desire to look on to. Everybody said the angels. Now, what he's saying here, the angels desired what you have experienced. The prophets prophesied about it and were desirous of it before you. The angels desired it and that, and, 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 and you're the people who have it. You know what he was telling these pilgrims who were just passing through? You're special, man. That's what he's telling them. He, he said, let me give you the big picture. You're special. You're special to God. You're living in a special moment, uh, a bigger picture uh, uh, moment for you. You need to see the bigger picture. Everybody say the bigger picture. 
Here it is. Let me, let me read. I'll just get, put it in words for you so you, maybe you can. Here it is. Regardless of the struggles of your temporary circumstances, you are living in the midst of God's eternal plan unfolding for all of humanity. He's saying, get the bigger picture. This is God's work going on here. You may be, uh, 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 you know, what did he say? We read it last week, uh, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you are grieved by various trials. He said, listen, there's some trials and tribulations on this journey towards eternity. And so you need to li- understand something. You're special to God. Everybody say, I'm special to God. And And hey, from a prophetic standpoint, we all need to realize that we are living in what some call the age of grace. The age where God shows His favor upon us. The season where God's plan is for the Lindsays of this life to be born again and for the, for the Felicias of this life to be born again, for the Ryans and the Rebecca's of this life to be born again. We're living in a special season. Some people think, man, I wish, oh, for the good old days. Listen, you don't want, listen, the Old Testament, you didn't want to go to church. In my mind, it was a bloody old place. They sacrificed on animals. It was, it, and man, it was, the priests were fearful to get into the holy place. And then the grace of God came. And so we're living in a very special time. And that's what he's telling to these folks. You're special. In fact, look in verse 20, what he says. He, he, he infers this. He indeed, was foreordained, this speaking about, about Jesus, who was, who was a lamb without blemish. He was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Now, he's talking about Calvary. And we're living in that season where the Christ came and paid the price for us. Once and for all, we're redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. He said, "This hey, it was foreordained before the foundation of the world, man. We're living in, in, in a special time. That's what he's trying to get across to him. He said, foreordained for the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world, before, but was, pardon me, manifest in these last times for who? For you. And so you see what he's saying? He said, you're special to God. You look at the, you need to look at, at life a little different. You need the bigger picture. Somebody say the bigger picture. The bigger picture, man, you're living in the, in the most grace-filled, glorious opportunity that anyone has ever lived before in the history of all humanity. And he caps it off. I like Second Peter. We'll look at it again later. But look at Second Peter chapter two, verse nine and ten. Man, he he finally just caps this thought off. He said, "But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people." Everybody say, "I'm special." Now say it like you mean it and smile. Rebecca, all the way from the back, say, "I'm special." Give Ryan a bump, fist bump. Say, "You're special to God." Boom! We're all special to God. Listen, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who's called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but now you are the people of God who have not obtained, who had not obtained mercy, but now you have. Have obtained mercy. Somebody say mercy. Whoo, grace and mercy. So here we see, here's what Peter does, man. Once he, 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 uh, uh, he, he, he 
shares with them their inheritance about heaven and eternity. He begins to address to them and give them the bigger picture about their life, that they are a chosen people. And folks, that we're living in that same generation that they're living in. Amen? We're living in good old U.S. of A., but listen, we're living in the same last days. He, he talked about the last days in the last times. We're living in the last days. It's an unknown season of time for the church to fulfill God's kingdom purpose. In fact, if we had we went back to Matthew 24, what did Jesus say about the end of times? He said, and the gospel, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as uh, in all the nations, and then the end will come. Amen? And so... That's the bigger picture. Somebody say, thank God for the bigger picture. Let me just ask a question and pause about this principle. Have you ever been so so sucked into some circumstances that all you could see was all the negatives about your moment? Anybody here, you just look at and you just, man, this is hopeless. And then somebody comes along and shines a little light on your world and says, listen, you're down in the basement digging holes. You need to come up and get the bigger picture. And so there's always a bigger picture. And so we, we, we need to understand that, especially about our life. And so Peter's pretty good about the bigger picture. Now, and, and if you go back and think about Peter's life, uh, you know, he, he made some pretty terrible failures in his life, right? He denied the Lord. Uh, he rebuked Jesus. And Jesus walks back into his life. We kind of introduced him at the beginning of this series uh, and he has a very personal uh, 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 walk with God now that understands the bigger picture. See, his picture, his perspective was, it's over for me. I've denied the Lord. I'm going fishing. Yes, he rose from the dead, but it's over for me because I made too many mistakes. And the resurrected Christ walks into his life and gives him a revelation of the bigger picture. Uh, and he's back in... He's back on track, fulfilling God's kingdom purpose for his life. Everybody say the bigger picture. And then once he does that, after he, you know, and when you read, when you get the context of this, and I said this, he exploded on them with praise and exaltation of God. You know, he said, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, uh, who has begotten us again who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead after he explodes on them with with great faith and and future and destiny and gives them the bigger picture then immediately he begins to uh uh, uh, uh give them some important insights about how to keep moving and to keep progressing, uh, and it's really a call to action. Jeremy, don't worry about that. It's not going to bother anybody. It's not, you can't help it. You can't hurt it. It's just going to do it. It's not going to hurt anybody. So, uh, we just let it leak till it's over and then we'll vacuum it up. <laughs> Amen. Uh, and, and so I want to talk to you about this, a call to action, because once he kind of adjusts their attitude a little bit, you ever had to have your attitude adjusted a little bit? Attitude adjustment. Then he says, Hey, I've given you the bigger picture. Now, let me give you some, some important things to do. It's time to get active. Uh, in fact, uh, I'm going to give you what I'll call seven precepts of progress in your spiritual journey. Uh, a precept is a general rule intended to regulate behavior. These are precepts. Uh, these are life lessons, if you will. These are rules about life. These are insights about, oh, 
We're on our way to heaven. Yes, we got the bigger picture. So now, here's a call to action. I've motivated you. I've encouraged you. Now I'm going to give you some important things uh, to, to, for you to do in your life to keep you moving forward. Everybody say moving forward. And let me just tell you, as we look through these things, the, the, is antithesis the opposite? Is that the, does that mean the opposite? The antithesis of these things, if you, when, once we look at one and you look at the antithesis of this principle or this precept of progress, you'll, you'll be able to say, you know, if I don't do that, I'm stuck. If I don't apply this precept of progress in my life, I'm stuck in my spiritual journey. And that will be the case with all of us. So here we go. Here's the first one. Look at verse 13. Therefore, everybody say therefore. Now, for, uh, for all of your benefit, but especially for Lindsay's benefit, here's one of Pastor Sam's old rules of thumb from Scripture. When you see a therefore, what do you do? You look back, see what the therefore is there for. Because therefore, he's building on what he just said. So he said, because it's only temporary, because we've been born again, or, or uh, we've been yeah, we've been begotten again by a living hope, and we're on our way to heaven. And these 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 trials and temptations we go through are only temporary, and and they're working for us a far more and greater eternal weight of glory. And the big picture is we're in the middle of God's plan uh, for the whole world to be born again. Therefore, here's some things you've got to do. Here's some precepts and principles of progress in your life. And he said, therefore, gird up. Everybody say gird up. That word gird, basically, and we'll, we'll look at it again. It means, hey, prepare yourself to get moving. Everybody say get moving. That's what he just, man, he just jumps in there. He said, you cannot stop because what he's saying is we're, we're sojourners. We're not settlers. Everybody say I'm a sojourner. That's what he used that word down in, in verse 10 of chapter, verse 11, b- b- beloved, uh, chapter 2. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, it's, he, you're, you're on a journey. That's what this whole series is about. Uh, 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 a pilgrim's progress, a journey. We're going on a journey through these books, but life is a journey. And pilgrims, as pilgrims, we cannot settle. Settlers do what? They, they settle. Sojourners and pilgrims, they keep moving. Everybody say you got to keep moving. And so that's what I want you to see tonight. And that's what I see Peter doing. He said, therefore, I'm going to give you some things you better appropriate into your life. If you want to keep moving, you better do these things. Are you with me? Here we go. I'm going to give you the first one. Uh, and it is this. And, and we'll ha- I'll say them in this way so they'll kind of be, you can understand them. Everyone say, be mindful. He says in verse 13, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. He's talking about our thought life. Now, this is nothing new for us. We understand this. But Peter, the first thing he says, listen, oh, get this. Everybody say, listen up here. He said, listen, in this journey that you're on, that's only temporary, that you and I are, are, are involved in, listen, one of your big battles is you better get control of your thought life. You better get control of your thoughts. He said, gird up the loins of your mind. That word gird, uh, it, you know, it, it means to prepare or get moving. And, 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 you know, it's like, you know, get everything ready to get going. He's talking about getting your mind in order. And the word loins, it means the place, just uh, interesting, the place of procreative power. Now, 
You know what he's saying in this, gird up the loins of your mind? He said, listen, your thoughts have creative power. How many of you know that's true? If you think it before long, shazam, there it is. Are you with me? And so either, hey, and that that's just a, a for the good or for the bad. If you, as a man thinks in his heart or in his mind, so is he. And so our thoughts are so, so creative. So here we are in the middle of, of, of a persecution, scattered persecution. And Peter, they're scattered. They, they have issues. And he said, listen, if you want to keep moving, you better get your thought life straight. You better begin to think the way that you need to think to keep you moving in the direction uh, that that I have for you. And and and, and conversely, or the antithesis of this thought is, man, we get our minds messed up, we're messed up, and progress stops. We get stuck in what many people call stinking thinking. And if you want to move forward in your spiritual journey, you can't be corrupted in your mind with stinking thinking. Let's just think about the potential of the thoughts that they were thinking. You know, hey, we thought we had it all together. The Holy Ghost came and poured out upon us. And now well, God let us get all persecuted and scattered and trouble. Warning, warning, flood warnings. <laughs> we know. Uh, and, and so, you know, they were struggling with their thought life, with what was going on in their world. And Peter explodes on the scene with this letter. And he said, you better gird up the loins of your mind. In fact, he didn't say you better. He said, gird up the loins of your mind. Get your thought life right. Because listen, if you get your thought life right, it'll begin to produce things in your life. And it will produce it has procreative power. And if you get your thought life right and under control, it will produce positive things in your life and productive things in your life. And so here's the little spiritual insight about that. Spiritual progress is perpetuated by proactive, proper thinking. Beverly, what's the passage is it in Colossians where it says, think on these things? Uh, this is not in my notes. I'm just going to fly off the cuff here. I think it is. It's Philippians, the end of Philippians. All right, let me look. I think you're right. Yes, it is. Philippians 4, 8. Listen to this. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate or slash think on these things. How many of you know we have control over what we think about? Well, I don't know about that. Well, absolutely we do. Uh, and that's why P Paul comes along and says, listen, progress is not just a miracle of God. It's a cooperative effort with you and God. And he says, gird up the loins of your mind. Spiritual progress is perpetuated by proactive, proper thinking. And, and if we get our thought life moving in the right direction, we keep moving in the right direction. You believe that? Everybody say, hey, look at your neighbor and say, do you really believe that? Do you believe that? I believe that. And so we gotta, we gotta gird up the, we gotta get, and someone gave this illustration one time and they said the word gird, uh, 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 it, it kind of has the, the, the mindset of tentacles going in all direction. And, uh, you ever seen Medusa 
ooh, you know. Uh, and so that's kind of the picture. Oh, we can't let our thought life just be like Medusa. We gotta, we gotta gird that up and get charge, take charge of our thought life. Huge principle, huge precept of progress in your life. Amen. Uh, I see Ryan in the back. Ryan's a, uh, he's an entrepreneur. He's a businessman. And, and, uh, and even in the, in business, if you get a sour attitude, listen, it affects your business. It affects your customer relations. If you don't believe you're the best and can do the best job and have a great product and all those things, it's going to affect you in every area of your life. And so, uh, you got to be mindful. Everybody say, be mindful. We've got to be mindful of what we think and how we think. And listen, let me just say, and I thought I'd get through this quick. I get on this one. Hey, listen, some of us have, have habits of negative thinking process. We need to, we need to turn, we need to, Turn the tide on that and pull those things down. Some of them may be strongholds of belief and thought process, processes that we need to pull down and, 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 and dethrone out of our life. Anybody ever dealt with some of that stuff? Some people, I can't, I didn't grow up in this environment, but I know people who grew up in this environment with, with actual parents telling them, you ain't worth a dime. You'll never be worth a dime. You old good for nothing. And you know what? People tell you those things. Uh, after a while, you might tend to believe them. They become strongholds in your mind. You got to pull those things down. Are you with me? Say amen. So here, Paul, Peter comes along. He said, listen, so you're not settlers. And if you want to keep moving, you better be mindful of your thoughts. Number two, you got to be sober. Everybody say be sober. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Now, of course, this has multiple applications. He's not just talking about uh, uh, strong drink, though. That certainly is applicable here, here because, in fact, Ephesians 5.18 says, Don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. He said, but how many of you know there are things that can intoxicate us that are, have nothing to do with alcohol or drugs? Are you with me? We get intoxicated by them and controlled by them and governed by them. And he says, listen, if you're going to keep moving forward, you can't let the things of this world intoxicate you. Be sober. Everybody say, be sober. There's a lot of places. Thessalonians references this. In fact, if you look over in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verse 7 and 8, he says, but the end of all things is at hand. I'm telling you, that ought to sober you up. He said, well, they've been saying that for years. Well, let me just say, we're closer than anybody else has ever been. He said, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious. I think King James says sober. Be serious and watchful in your prayer. We can't be intoxicated by the things of this world. Think about their circumstances. They, they were troubled. They had issues. They had been dispersed by persecution. What do a lot of people do when they get in the midst of those kind of issues? They start medicating their pain. Oh, man, for a season. I'm medicating my mind because, man, my thought life is messed up. So, so these two thoughts... Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, certainly go hand in hand because when you start medicating your mess with something that is not the word and the will of God for your life, it does nothing but delay and potentially deny you of your future. 
Hello? And if we get drunken in, in a sense, and we get, uh, we get, uh, uh, you know, uh, inebriated with the things of this life, we miss God's will and plan for our life. And so, uh, hey, you want to keep moving forward. You got to be mindful. You got to be sober. And then number three, I love this one. Be hopeful. Everybody say hopeful. Now, you know the biblical definition of hope is something more than knock on wood. I hope it works out for me. How many of you very, I hope I get that raise. Knock on, this is not the kind of hope we have in God. It's not, I hope he comes back again. <laughs> How many of you know Peter has, has said, hey, he just hammered it over and over, even in this first chapter, uh, about the, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And he says this after he says, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. And this is huge. Everybody say it's just like I said, it's huge. Everybody say it's huge. This is huge, man. This is mega. This is big. And rest your hope fully, your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Rest your hope fully upon the grace, the unmerited favor the blessings of God that are going to come upon you and that are headed your way when Jesus Christ comes back to planet Earth. Now, and that word hope doesn't mean I hope He's coming back. It means, hey, I have a confident expectation that what He said is true and I rest my hope fully upon what He said about His return. So he said, listen, remember, it's only temporary. He said, if you want to keep moving forward, you got to be, you got to, you got to, you got to be mindful. You got to be sober and you got to be hopeful. You got to rest your hope, your confident expectation of good for your future when it comes to Jesus Christ coming back into your life. In fact, that phrase, uh, 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 rest your hope fully. One other translation says, hope until the end. Until it's over, until this life is over, you keep hoping and keep be, being confident about the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. This could be the dawning of that grand and glorious day. When the face of Jesus we behold, so Him. And so He's saying, keep hope alive all the days of your life. Don't lose hope. Look at your neighbor and say, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. We can't lose hope. In fact, I love what Hebrews 6.18 says. Hebrews 6.18 says, This hope we have as a what? An anchor of the soul. What's your soul? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Woo! How many of you know hope has a way of anchoring you securely through the storms of life? And that's what Peter's referencing here. Hey, listen, these issues, these circumstances... Yeah, they're only temporary that, that you're grieved for a little while by various trials. I get it. But rest your hope fully upon the reality that Jesus Christ is coming back again. Keep hope alive. And that hope will anchor you secure and steadfast through the storms of life until Jesus comes back. Who was it saying? Was it I don't know, the anchor holds? I can't remember. Huh? Ray Bolt. The anchor holds. Amen. Everybody say, be mindful. Be sober. Everybody say, be hopeful. And then number four, the fourth precept of progress is be obedient. 
Live an obedient lifestyle to God. Look in verse 14. He said, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. He says, you've got to be like obedient children. In this journey, listen carefully, disobedience will get you off track in a heartbeat. The antithesis of this be obedient. To be disobedient is also to mean to not have faith in and to not trust in. Uh, and so when you are disobedient to the directive of God in your life, uh, certainly this undermines the, 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 the destiny of God for your life. So for goodness sake, everybody say for goodness sake. For goodness sake, live life in this journey as obedient children and not conforming yourselves uh, to the former lust as in your ignorance. How many of you know, if you go back to gird up the loins of your mind, I mentioned it uh, just a few moments ago, uh, therefore gird up the loins of your mind. How many of you know that's not a suggestion? That's a command of God in our life, right? And so... You got We've got to take the commands of God, the directives of God seriously. And, and if he says, hey, gird up the loins of your, of, of your mind, I'm going to obey what he said. And as a result, and, and he throws this thought in with this. He said, uh, uh, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust. Everybody say conform. Now, Romans 12, 2, 1 and 2 says this. Don't be conformed to this world. How many, how many of you know the world's trying to conform us into its image from all sides, from every side? I mean, that's what commercials are all about. To buy into that and to then, and then buy into that and, and, and be conformed to the mindset of this world. And the world is pressuring us to conform. And here Peter says, uh, 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 not conforming yourselves like you, like you were in your former life. Don't be conformed to this world, Paul says. But catch this, be what? Transformed. And here he links back point one again, or, or Paul does, links us back to point one. Don't be conformed to this world. This is Romans 12, 1 and 2. But be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. That you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. How many of you think I ought to give Lindsay some homework, being she's a new Christian? Anybody think I ought to give her homework? Okay, Lindsay, here's your homework. Memorize Romans 12, 1 and 2. That'll change your life. Raise your right hand and say, I so solemnly swear I'll memorize it. Okay, boom. Hey, I'm tough. Uh, because what a, what a revelation. We're, we, we can't let the world conform us. And if, hey, listen. That's the command of God. Be obedient. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't let the world in. Paul builds on that by saying, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Amen. Everyone say, be mindful, be sober, be hopeful, and then be obedient. And then he says, be holy. This always used to bother me. Kind of still does a little bit. But he says, he said, but as he who called you, this is verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy or righteous in all your conduct. Not in your Sunday morning conduct, but in all your conduct. Here's, here's a conflict I have with the culture of our day. And how many of you have seen this? Uh, man, I love the Lord. Hallelujah. I come to church. Woohoo. Give him all the praise. 
Uh, but on Friday and Saturday night, I, was, I loved the world with all my heart and soul, and I gave it all the praise. And think that's all right. How many of you know that's not all right? And that's what Peter's saying. He said, listen, in all your conduct, you've got to be holy. Now, uh, the Bible clearly says there's none righteous, no, not one. Uh, but who do we lean on? We lean on Him. and But He says, be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Now, He's talking about, listen carefully, the journey of this life. Not when we get to heaven, but the journey of this life. We, we must cooperate, and I'm going to give you some methodology here in a moment, cooperate with God's purpose and plan and His will for our life by becoming more and more like Him every day. Amen? Less of me and more of Him. So, here I want to give you some thoughts. I'll show it to you from this passage. Uh, the capacity of holy living. How is it developed or how is it found? Well, let me tell you. Holy living is found, I'm going to say it in three ways. This is just the way I put it tonight. There would be a hundred different ways you could say this, but in this context, I think it works. Holy living is found, I'll say developed, by number one, who you know. Everybody say who you know. Look at verse 22. Since you have purified your souls. Now, there we're talking about holy living. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, there's that obedient factor again, through, now catch this, how did that happen? Look, look, follow through with me. Everybody look at the scripture. It says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, look at this, through the Spirit of God. In other words, you can't just say nope to dope. Right? In fact, in our own strength, we don't have the capacity to be holy. But we can see something and realize that the Holy Spirit in us, He's the convictor of sin. And, and, and when we, we, uh, uh, realize that, that the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us and we have the power of the Holy Spirit available in our life to help change and transform our life. Listen, we can begin to live holy living. Holy living is found, developed, discovered by when you discover who you know. I've got a relationship with the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. In fact, uh, let me show you. Oh, you're close. Take, take a left and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me show you this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is one of my favorite passages. It says this in verse uh, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. There's that same word again. We're being transformed into the same image. That's what I just said. The same image of God. How? It said we're transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You see, holy living is frustrating if you don't live under the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And that's why Paul could say uh, in, in, to, the, to the Galatians, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Hello? Anybody need to know how to walk in the Spirit? Here's simple. 
You get in the Spirit, and then what do you do? You walk it out. You just stay in the Spirit. So holy living is found in who you know. And then number two, and this, and you gotta have both. I'm gonna give you three thoughts, but you gotta have both of these. Not only is holy living found in who you know, but holy living is found in what you know. Look in verse 18 through 21. After he said, be holy for I am holy. Look in verse 18, knowing that. Everybody say knowing that. Now, here's, he's, he's talking about holy living. He said, here's some things you need to know. It's not only in who you know, the Holy Spirit working through you, but in what you know. He said, here's what you, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by the traditions of men, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times uh, for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. You know what he just talked about? The gospel of Jesus Christ. He said the power of the gospel. This is what you need to know. That Jesus died for you on a cross and paid for you with his own blood. You were redeemed by his blood. He used that for payment for your sin. He died on the cross, was buried in a borrowed tomb. Three days later he rose again so you and I could have new life. When you began to know that, not just here, but right here, who he died for me, paid for my sin. Let me, let me tell you something. When you grasp the power of Calvary, it causes the power of sin to fall off your life. Somebody say amen. Man, I ought to give an invitation here tonight. Everybody born again. All right. I knew you were, but being holy is found, developed, discovered by who you know and what you know. And then number three, how you respond to who you know and what you know. You've got to respond rightly. And verse 22, he, he told them how to respond. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. How many of you know the gospel is the truth? But how many of you know the Holy Spirit is the called the spirit of truth? Man, when you respond rightly to who you know and what you know, it'll transform your life and you will begin to obey the truth. And the truth the Bible says, the truth that you know and the truth that you obey, it will do what? It'll set you free. Amen? Everyone say, be mindful. Everyone say, be sober. Everyone say, be hopeful. Be obedient. Be holy. And then number six, be loving. Everyone say, be loving. Look what he says in verse 22. He says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. How many of you know this is one of, this is the first commandment? Love the Lord your God, or the second commandment Jesus gave. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, think about the journey now again. The journey they are on. The journey we are on. We're pilgrims passing through. And listen, when you're a pilgrim passing through, all the more reason, when you're not a settler, and just sit on the front porch and talk to your neighbor, but you're moving forward, you've got to find people who are moving with you. 
and love them fervently with a pure heart. Build relationships with others and love them fervently with a pure, pure heart. In fact, he says this again over 1 Peter 4, uh, 7 and 8 after he says, uh, be serious in your prayers. And he says in verse 8, above all these things. Now, everybody say above all these things. Now, when you, if you go back and you started enumerating all these things that he's been talking about up to this point, he says, above all these things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sin. He's talking about being relationally right with those who are on this journey with you. One of the biggest knock you out of the race things is an offense in your heart against someone else. Am I right? You want to get stifled in your journey? Get, get a burr under your saddle about somebody and don't be a forgiver and, and, and don't love fervently. That word fervent is passionate love for, for the family of faith and one another. It's sad to me that people could, uh, uh, this is the reality. Here's the reality. Do, do you want me to depress you just a little bit? about how many of you know reality sometimes can depress you here here's the reality about any given family of faith there are those in in the family of faith who if you left today would never know you were gone and never even care that you left am i right because we are so disconnected from one another relationally we have no real connection. People come and, 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 and people go and they slip in and they slip out. But there's no real relational connection of love. Listen, uh, when you love somebody and they are a part of your family and, and you lose them, it's a heartbreaker. And so uh, Peter comes and says, in this journey, my friend, it's not a solo ride. There's no Lone Ranger walk with God. You better find somebody and love that you better love fervently. And it's raining out there. Everyone say be loving. In fact, it's really the evidence of our faith. Did you know that? Love is the evidence of our faith. First John 4, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. He that loveth not knoweth not God for God is love. It's the, it's the evidence. God looks down on the church and if he doesn't see us loving one another, uh, listen, it's evident. He's going, man, you don't love God. If you love God, you love one another. Everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. He that loveth not knoweth not God for God is love. Be loving. Listen, the journey. What, what a, what a sad journey we would have. If we excommunicated ourselves from the family of faith. It's happening all over the world, by the way. It's sad to me. Number seven. And I, I'm going to slip into chapter two. Uh, if you're going to keep moving forward, the seventh precept of progress, it's be growing. Always be growing spiritually. He starts talking in verse 23 about the power. Verse 22 and verse 23 about the power of the Word of God. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. Verse 25, he says, the Word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the Word by which... Uh, 
This is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Now I'm going to jump into chapter 2 and kind of give you a little. He says, therefore, laying aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and evil speaking. Now, that's relational issues. Are you with me? Relational issues. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. He said, listen, you got to keep growing. And if you're going to keep growing, you got to deal with these relational issues and start desiring the milk of God's Word in your life and grow thereby. Let the Word of God, which is, which is powerful and incorruptible, make a huge difference in your life. And keep growing spiritually. Listen, I'm about to have another granddaughter. Number five is on the way. In about five weeks, right, Beverly? Five weeks, six weeks, huh? A month? I mean, little Mabry Ruth will be here. Now, just, it's a side note here. Let me just. Some of you may or may not. Their last name is Trevino. Josh is half Hispanic. I told Josh, "Did you re- do you realize, Josh, Mabry could come out looking like a little Mexican girl? I'm really excited. I would hope that would be the case. I'd love that, man. I, I love Mexican girls anyway. I mean, in the good way, you kind of understand. I go to Mexico all the time. But, uh, I mean, we're excited about little Mabry. And, and whether she's a little dark-skinned, he's... Oh, Hispanic, I'll use that term, Uh, it's irrelevant. The one thing after she breaks into this world with great pain and adversity and everybody's excited, it won't be long, what will she be? She'll be desiring something. The sincere milk of her mother. She needs that. And hey, as newborn babes. Now, here's the issue. For little Mabry, it's natural. But you know what? For babies in Christ, it's not natural. You have to... He had to tell them what to desire. You get it? You better start desiring this. If you're going to grow spiritually and keep moving forward in this journey into into eternity, you better start desiring this. and, And I'll read between the lines. And stop desiring that. And here's the reality. Even even uh, with Lindsay here, Lindsay's a newborn babe. But the reality with Lindsay is, I can't track her down every Sunday and Wednesday and say, "Come on, open up, Lindsay. I'm going to teach you the Bible. Get come here, get it in there." I kind of did a little bit. I made her say she memorized Romans twelve one and two. Uh, but you know what? Ultimately, she's responsible for her spiritual growth. Now, pastorally, I'm here, our church is here. Yes, we all help one another. But ultimately, Lindsay has to get up in the morning and go, I'm not going to be conformed to this world. I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I'm going to desire the sincere milk of the word. I'm, uh, the, hey, the end of all things at hand. I'm going to pray fervently. I'm going to begin to seek God. I'm going to begin to talk to God. I'm going to begin to build my life spiritually. I'm not going to let my, my, uh, the peers that are at my job or at, at my workplace or wherever, uh, 
conform me. I'm going to be transformed. I'm, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to grow spiritually. Amen. I'm going to keep moving forward and progressing in the things of God. Amen. You see, spiritual progress is a cooperative effort. I've never had God pick me up and push me down the road. That's what obedience is all about. The command is there, but we have to obey. He doesn't grab us by the nap of the neck and say, get up and pray. Read your Bible every day. No. It's a cooperative effort. But it is the command of God. Be holy. How many of you know that's not a suggestion? Scripture says, be holy for I am holy. Amen. So tonight, thank you for coming on this rainy, flooding, be careful going home. My goodness gracious. Uh, and, and, but let what we've learned tonight. How many of you learned something tonight? Amen. Spiritual progress. Yeah, it's, it's, it requires our cooperative effort on every hand. Amen. Father, we thank you for the word of God tonight. We thank you to, thank you that it's going to bring forth much fruit in our lives. And Lord, we thank you, Lord God, for spiritual progress. Lord, thank you for helping us see the bigger picture and then being able to appropriate the, the precepts of progress that Peter began to lay out so boldly to these sojourners and pilgrims in the land. Help us embrace them as well. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen.